0: A reading from the life of Jesus as told by Luke. When Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a saturnian servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The saturnian heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you. I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant will.
1: Have you ever been in a place where you just feel like you don't belong? Like you're uh, there and you went on purpose, but when you got there you just felt like uh, this isn't for me. Uh, I don't fit in in this place. It's, I just like a fish out of water. Uh, when when Jesus found me, I, I was a complete wreck. I mean, I don't imagine there's anybody in this room that would have recognized me uh, if you knew me then. But I mean, I, I grew up in a place and I knew I couldn't stay there anymore. And so I left that place and I knew I could never, couldn't go back And in the midst of all that. Jesus found me, and when he found me, it was pretty clear to me that I needed to turn my life and my will over to him. Now, one of the things that I have always been able to do, I don't know when this started in my life, I have always been able to make decisions and make them really fast. Not always good, <laughs> but I have made them fast. <laughs> if you need some decision made fast, I'm your dude. <laughs> I can make decisions one right after another. If I screw it up, I just make another one. I make decisions and I can pump them out in a hurry. And so I decided pretty quickly after I had turned my life and will over to Jesus that uh, I needed to go somewhere where I could learn the Bible, that I would not go back to the college that I had been involved in. I couldn't go back to the school that I had been involved in. I couldn't be around the people that I had been involved with. I mean, I, I just, I had to decide right then to go to that school, and uh, I went. Now, they won't tell you this on the brochure about me. In fact, that school was closed. I had nothing to do with it, but that school is closed. (laughs) Uh, They closed just a few years ago, and uh, when I got there, they told me, you can come under probation, and they didn't actually accept me into school until the start of the second semester. (laughs) But when I got there, I (laughs) knew pretty quickly, I don't belong at this place. I walked in, and the very first thing somebody told me is, hey, dude, your hair's too long. And I'm like, I I cut it before I came here. (laughs) And uh, at that point, you know, when I first became a follower of Jesus, my hair was about halfway down my back, and I decided that was probably too long, so I cut it until it was about my shoulder, and they said that was still too long, and I decided, okay. Okay. I only had blue jeans to put on and they told me blue jeans were not allowed at this particular college. Brown jeans were allowed, but not blue jeans. I didn't know such a thing as brown jeans existed. (laughs) Only blue jeans. I mean, I just didn't belong. Everywhere I went, people, uh, they'd tell me things that about the way life was. I'd go into classes and I'd fake like I knew the Bible and listen to people. I knew nothing. The only place I felt at home at the whole place was with my roommate. And a week in, I figured out why I felt at home with him because he stole my shoelaces because he needed them. (laughs) And then a month later, I figured out why I really felt comfortable with him because he got arrested for robbing a gas station and kicked out of school. And it didn't take me too long to discover that what I really needed for that first semester was I spent a long time in that room by myself with Jesus, and he was there. Just me and Jesus in that room, and I figured out that he was with me. Now you may be here today, and it's your first time in church, or it's your first time in church in a long time, and you came here on purpose, I believe that fully, and God brought you here for a reason, and you feel like you just don't belong. In fact, you felt uncomfortable the whole time singing, I get it, I just want you to know it's okay. And what I'm hoping is, I hope you'll keep coming long enough that you'll just figure it out, and eventually you'll figure out that that you're here and God's here and God actually will talk to you even in the midst of your discomfort. I mean, this place is full of people who were right where you are the first time they walked into this place. And uh, we don't forget what it feels like. We try our best uh, to make you feel comfortable. So we're going to try to explain everything to you. We're going to try to help you through. Uh, the truth is, is that when you begin to follow Jesus, almost everybody doesn't know what it's like. We fake like we do. But we don't always know what it's like to follow him. It might surprise you to know that Jesus, the best person who ever lived, was most comfortable, it appears, with people who were not the best people. That Jesus surrounded himself again and again and again with people that other people had rejected and The religious people had problems with him, but the prostitutes and the tax collectors and people and the foreigners and women and children who no one else paid attention to, they loved Jesus. They loved being around Jesus, and he loved being with them. I mean, he just loved them. So if you're here and for whatever reason you don't feel like you fit in, I hope you'll give it a little bit of a a chance. And I'll tell you something you don't know about everybody sitting around you. They don't fit in either. We're just a collection of folks that we come together to worship God because he makes us okay. So I started this by telling you a little bit about my story. My name's Ed. If you haven't been here, I hope I get to meet you. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're in this series called Jesus' Story. And the story I told you, that's 40-something years ago. My whole life, from that point on, uh, Jesus has kindly written me into his story. And so we've been telling these stories about the life of Jesus where he invites people into this interactive life with him where he will walk with you and talk with you and he'll be with you throughout your life. And the Jesus story we're going to look at today, it's written by an outsider. In fact, you may not know this, but the book of Luke, the book of Luke is the only book in the whole of the Bible, the whole book is written by a guy who was, he's the only non-Jew. Luke's the only non-Jew that writes any book in the Bible. He's the only one that was not considered a part of the people of God. And Luke loves about writing about uh, uh, outsiders. He continually is writing about prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and women who the Jewish people would have ignored, uh, foreigners that we learned about last week, and today we found another outsider that you just heard about that we're going to learn from. So it says in chapter 7, like you saw just on the screen a minute ago, that when Jesus had finished saying this, and just so you know, so you don't have to go back and look, what it's meaning that he had just finished saying is, Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just finished. Now we don't know if it's the one that Matthew records. We believe Jesus says that group of saying again and again and again. But he ends by saying, if you build your life on me, if you put your faith in me, your foundation will be strong no matter what. But if you decide to build your life on anything else, then when the storms come in life, you're going to be shaken. And then he returns to Capernaum. He enters Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is a town that you can still go and see today. In fact, uh, the only time that I've been in the nation of Israel 15 years ago or so, w- one of our visits was to Capernaum, and they've uncovered those black basalt uh, kind of streets where you can walk on and you can see the rocks exactly where Jesus was. It's this archaeological site in Israel, and you can walk through the streets and you can see it. They believe at the time it's about a city of 2,000, and most people, most scholars believe this is where Jesus made the headquarters for his ministry when he's in Capernaum. He's from Nazareth, which is just a little village. It's like Turin to Nunan. Uh, Nazareth is just this little community. But Jesus made his home in Capernaum. In fact, uh, Peter's from Capernaum as well. And so he's centering everything around that Galilean ministry. It takes place there. We're told in the text that the centurion's servant, uh, he has the master, the one he valued highly, is sick, and he's about to die. Now, not only is Luke an outsider, he's not a Jew, but Luke's also a physician. And so what he wants you to get out of this is, this servant's in trouble. He's not going to make it. And because of how we think about masters and servants, because you put that in terms of slavery in the South, you, you tend to think of it that maybe the master doesn't care. But it's pretty clear the centurion loves this servant. I mean, we have history that you can go back and read if you're, you know, want to about the Romans. And Romans would actually often adopt servants to will their property to instead of giving it to their natural-born children. They would adopt servants that they loved that had become great servants, and they would will their property to them, write them into the will. So you, you might be thinking, I'm stretching it a little bit, but this centurion thinks about this servant. We don't know if it's male or female. But he loves them like you love your son and daughter. And even though he's a military guy and he's probably really tough, he's serving in a region where he's far away from Rome. He's often in danger. When his servant got sick, it's his number one priority. Now, we find out first that he goes to the local Jewish leaders. In fact, we're told that he asked them to go to Jesus and ask Jesus to come heal the servant. Now, if you aren't one of the people that, you know, we were told just recently that a whole bunch of men are reading about Roman history, I don't know why, if you're not teaching the Bible, you read about Roman history, but we're told that that's a thing in our society right now. If you don't well, aren't one of those people, you probably don't know about centurions. A centurion is a military man who's over 100 men. That's the century part of centurion. He is over 100 people, and he is the highest ranking non-officer in the Roman army. In fact... If you're a Roman citizen, but you weren't born of the elite status, he's as high as he can go. Unless you're an elite person, you can't ever be an officer. So he's as high as he can go at his job. He's done a great job to get promoted. He's a centurion, and he's leading 100 men. I mean, these centurions, they're the backbone of the Roman army that had conquered the world. They're good leaders. They understand the guys that they're leading. They understand how to relate to the officers that are above them. They are the key to the whole thing. This guy wants the Jewish leaders to ask Jesus to help him. And, and he, makes a, he makes a case that it would be a problem for, the, for him to go directly because the, the Jewish people hate the Romans. The Romans at that time would be what we would now colloquially call a peacekeeping force. But just like today, if you're from the country where the peacekeeping force is, what you call them are invaders. They were people that didn't belong in your country, and you wanted them to leave as soon as you could, and they hate, hate, hate the Romans. So imagine now, you're a Roman centurion, you've got a hundred men, you're in a city of 2,000, there are a bunch of villages around, Everybody around you hates you. It's 100 to 2,000. Everybody around you in the surrounding neighborhood, they hate you. What do you do with your men? What do you do in that kind of situation to keep peace? What do you do if you're really, really smart? Well, we're told what he did in verse 4. when this. Jewish leaders come to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he built us our synagogue. Years ago when I was on the trip to Israel, you can actually still see this foundation that these military guys laid. Now there's another synagogue built on top of it, it's 500 years in the future from this date, but you can still see the foundation of this. They've dug it up on the side. So this very smart Roman leader wants to keep peace. And instead of having his young, cocky, military guys walk around with their swords everywhere, he says, hey guys, we're going to lay a foundation for this synagogue. And he puts them to work. And the Jewish people in the town, they loved him. They were so thankful for him. He had his men go and put their hands mortar, and foundation to build a place of worship. And it got him great favor with everybody in that community. So they come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, please come help this guy. So Jesus goes with them.
0: Jesus was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. This is what faith in Jesus looks like. This is the kind of trust that he is looking for. It's quite a contrast to what has become the common way to talk about it in our generation. Faith is not a power unto itself. It's for sure not the way you make the God of the universe do your bidding. Faith as described in the Bible is the way human beings interact with God. It is the way we live the interactive life. It's the way I open myself up to doing the will of God. It's the way we allow God to bring us into the great story that He is telling in the world. We trust in Him. We put our faith in Him and His will and His way. We ask and we trust that if He would just say the word, impossible things become possible and our lives are transformed. This centurion is a commander of men. He knows what can happen when you have actual authority and you give a command. He is saying that Jesus can command sickness or the spiritual forces behind the sickness to leave so that His servant can be healed. Where in the world would a Roman centurion get this idea that Jesus could just speak health into existence? Maybe from another man from Capernaum who had an interaction with Jesus before the centurion ever met Jesus. He was a businessman who traveled to a place called Cana, about 13 miles up in the hills. Cana is a place where Jesus did His first miracle, turning water to wine. About a year after the event, this man from Capernaum had come to Cana because he heard Jesus was there and this man's son was sick. Jesus' disciple John remembers that this man went to Jesus and begged Him to come and heal his son who was close to death. And how does Jesus respond? Well, he kind of gets salty with the guy and says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. In other words, what makes you think I need to come to your house? Don't you have enough faith to believe that even if I am 13 miles away, I can speak the word and he will be healed? Now, Jesus isn't really kicking the guy when he's worried about his son. There's a crowd around Jesus and He is actually rebuking the entire crowd of people because they just want to see a miracle. They just want Jesus for what they can get out of Him. They want faith to be a power they have over Jesus. They don't want life with Him. They want His power. A lot of people are still that way. Maybe if you're honest, you're like that. You come to church and you pray, And you think, if I pray and read my Bible and go to church and give some money, then God will bless me. But this is not what faith is about. We don't come to Jesus for what we can get out of Him. We come to Jesus to do life with Him because of who He is. When you come to Jesus for who He is and not for what you can get out of Him, you will get far more than you ever imagined. You'll find that He is the treasure. He is the ultimate blessing. What if Jesus is more than you can imagine? What if today you come to church and you want something from Jesus, but maybe you have some expectations of Him? What if He's more than you imagine? What if He's greater than just what you want out of Him? That's what this rich man found out. Jesus said to him, go, your son is healed. So the next day, He's on the way home, and his servants meet him on the road. They said, Hey, good news, your son has been healed. And he realized that it was the exact time that Jesus said the word. And we're told, So he and his whole household believed. And I bet the word spread throughout his hometown of Capernaum about this Jesus who could heal people at a word. I bet he told everyone who would listen. And now Jesus is in Capernaum. And there's a centurion in that town in a similar situation. But this time, the person asking for the miracle knows who he's dealing with.
1: Now, there's no way for me to approve it, but I believe the centurion in Capernaum knew all about that miracle. There's a pretty good chance that he had heard about it, heard rumors about that story that... You know, you can get Jesus to do things if he really, he turns your way. He doesn't have to come close to you. He he can heal at a distance. And he's so respectful of the Jewish people, and particularly for Jesus. He knows if Jesus comes to my house, I mean, the moment he comes into my house, these religious leaders who actually hate him like they hate me, They're going to declare him unclean, and it's going to be a thing. I mean, it's just overt racism. They hate the Romans, and you can't go around a Roman. You can't be with a Roman. We can have him build a foundation for us, but we can't be around him. I mean, I don't care what he's done for us. If you go in his house, you're unclean. So he sends these guys, and he says, Look, you don't have to come to my house. I know how this works. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell one to go, and he goes, and... I tell that one to come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. You just say the word, and it'll be done. And then in verse 9, when Jesus hears this, he's amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Then the men who had seen Jesus returned to the house, and they found that the servant had been healed. Now Nathan talked about this a little last week, but What would it be like for you to amaze Jesus? I mean, imagine you're a really good swimmer, and you say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I'm a really good swimmer. And you dive in, and you start swimming, and when you come up, he goes, that is really good, as he jogs on top of the water. I mean, an amaze Jesus. Or you're like this unbelievable singer, and you sing, and Jesus goes, that was beautiful. And then you notice that every word he says is underscored by this angel choir. I mean, you honestly think Jesus is in heaven going, shh, it's talking. It's really good. And not a chance. Jesus isn't amazed by what we do for him. I mean, he isn't amazed by what we do in his name. I mean... When we use our gifts in the name of Jesus, why would he be amazed by them? They are his gifts that he gave to us. He already knows the gifts that we have. He is not amazed when we serve them. What amazes him is when we trust him. What amazes him is when we put our faith in him and we do what he says he wants us to do. As, a, as again, some of you are here and you haven't been around very long. Others of you, I mean, frankly, you've been here for a while. In fact, it's not the first time you've heard this story. And you're, you're like, but I mean, the truth is, when you come, you still feel like you don't you don't fully fit in. You're like you're out of place somehow. That you come, but it's not really your place. And you look at people, and something in you says, I, I just don't belong here. And it could be for a whole bunch of reasons why you don't feel like you belong. Maybe you don't go to church or you don't understand it all and you think everybody else does. And I'll just say to you again, everybody in here is humpty dumpty. We blew our lives up and we could not put them back together on our own. Now, all the king's horses, I mean, all the positive outlook, all the self-help books, if self-help could have helped us, we would have helped ourselves long ago. We needed Jesus to put us back together. We couldn't get it done without Jesus. But what we found was, when you trust in King Jesus, he will walk with you. He will help you. And even when you stumble and fall, and even when you fail and disappoint yourself, Jesus is for you. You do not disappoint him. You do not make him look away from you. He will help you every time you're willing to put your life back together. That's what he's been specializing in doing for 2,000 years. I mean, here this guy is, he amazes Jesus, and the only thing he really does, I mean, there are only three times that anybody amazes Jesus, And the whole time in the Bible. One of them Nathan talked about last week, which is a woman that just sort of plays back and forth with Jesus. When Jesus tries to say, Well, it's not for you. She says, Well, even the crumbs would be good enough for me. And then there's this guy, and then there's a whole group of people who were called the people of God, like some of us are. And Jesus was amazed by their lack of trust. So you can amaze Jesus by trusting him or you can amaze Him by continuing to not trust Him. I mean, with everything He's done, with everything He does, He offers you the chance to do life with Him. But faith is not something that gives you some power over God. Faith is believing that God is who He says He is and will do everything He said He will do. And who is Jesus? He's God in the flesh. He is actively holding everything together. In your life, which you feel like often is coming apart, Jesus right now is willing to help you walk in your life and hold it together. He will communicate with you, and more than that, He will put you into community with a family. He will bring you into a place where all of us together learn from Jesus how to do life together. Where you can find other people that will help you and support you and love you and walk along beside you where you can serve with others, where you can love and be loved and serve and be served, celebrate with others and be celebrated. And maybe you don't know, but the reason you often feel like you're on the outside looking in is because you are looking for a community, not for some experience in your current life. You are looking for people with Jesus at the center where he teaches us what it looks like to love him and to love each other. It's not about you and your story. It's about Jesus writing you into the only story that has been told in this world and the only story that will last. And that's his great story. So today, you have another opportunity. Nothing I say here today amazes Jesus. But you could amaze him. You can either amaze him by putting your trust in him and doing what he's been calling you to do, or you can amaze him by your continued lack of trust. Your continued deciding you'll figure it out on your own. And I hope today you decide today's my day. Jesus, you just say the word, and I know it'll be done in my life. It's one of the reasons we invite you every week to come and join us in this community of following Jesus together. You come and you help us create a community of people where we learn from Jesus how to love everyone always, and that we trust him to lead us to become the person he needs me to be in the community that he wants me to be a part of, where we are open to his word and we follow him at every time. So maybe for you, that's going to the next step, or maybe there's something that God has been calling you to do, and every week you sort of act like you might do it, and then you don't. And today might be your day. And Jesus would be amazed. But we're gonna give you a chance to prayerfully reflect on that. And Molly's gonna come and lead us in that moment.
0: Hey there. Thanks for stopping by to check out this message. If you've been feeling the call to take your next step in following Jesus, we're here to support you every step of the way. Feel free to reach out to us at community-christian.net or connect with us on any of our social media platforms. And hey, I'm super excited to share that we've got two amazing podcasts you might really enjoy. First up, there's Three Peas in a Pod, where three of our speakers dive deep into questions about the Bible and life. Then, there's Not Great Parents, which is just perfect for us parents navigating the ups and downs of parenthood. Both of these podcasts release fresh episodes every week, so make sure to tune in and give them a listen.